Oh my goodness, sometimes I just don't know where to start, and this is one of those weeks. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Appreciate you joining us and being a part of the show. There is so much to get into. Unbelievable. Now, before we get going, guys, just a quick reminder, leave us that rating, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate that. It helps us a lot. It takes you two seconds. I'd be really grateful. And in return, I'll send you that free Heartland College Sports koozie. If you leave that rating and review, send me a screenshot of the rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much, guys. Now, let's start with this. Oklahoma, Kansas State. We're not going to recap the game. We did that in our podcast that we drop on Sunday. But this continuing controversy over the onside kick, can we put that to rest for now, please? Let me share with you what Greg Burke said. He is the Big 12 coordinator of officials. He was on the Big 12 teleconference earlier this week. Here is what he had to say about the controversial onside kick at the end of the OUK State game. It hit the OU player before the ball had advanced 10 yards. It was like nine and a half. So OU's recovery was for naught. Now, OU fans are arguing that because K-State's player may have shoved the OU player into the ball, that should not matter. Here's what Greg Burke had to say, Big 12 coordinator of officials in the teleconference this week. Uh, I want to make clear that on this play, what replay can look at by rule is the timing of blocks by K Oklahoma and touching of the ball by K Oklahoma on this play, the ruling on the field was there was no touch and that the ball was recovered by Oklahoma replay then reviewed and ruled that Oklahoma touched the ball at nine yards. They are not eligible to touch the ball until it's gone 10 yards. And so the ruling in, after the review was to award the ball to Kansas State at the 44. I know there's been discussion about force touching, but I want to clarify that if you don't have a touch ruled on the field, you obviously can't have forced touching. And even if you did, the question of force touching is not something that falls under the replay review guidelines. I mean, that's pretty succinct to me from Greg Burke. So here's the deal. Force touching is what OU fans are complaining about in this onside kick from that game last weekend. What it comes down to from Greg Burke, the Big 12 coordinator of officials, is one, because no touch was ruled on the field, you cannot go back and look at force touching. But even if you could, that is not under the replay guidelines. So if OU fans have some beef, have it with the system. Have it with the fact that touching should be a reviewable, uh, replayable event. That's fine. But, you know, I'm just, I'm blown away by the fact that, you know, OU fans, and I feel for you because this hurts the Big 12 chances of making a college football playoff. I'm a Big 12 guy, all right? I want to see this conference do well. And I thought with the defense this year looking improved, OU had a great chance to get to a college football playoff and make some noise, and that is now um, very much up in the air and far more unlikely than it was before last week. So I don't like the fact that OU does not have a great chance at the college football playoff right now because I want the Big 12 to be in the college football playoff. 
That doesn't mean that I'm taking anything away from K-State. They deserve that game. Chris Kleiman and his staff put together a fantastic game plan. They went on a 41-6 to run in this game, and they deserve all the accolades. But OU fans, just, just let's take a step back here. Even if you recover the onside kick, you have to score a touchdown, and then you probably have to win in overtime. I think that Texas Tech fans have a much bigger beef with the officiating much bigger beef with the officiating. Um, and even Kansas fans have a bigger beef with the officiating than OU fans do. Because Texas Tech fans in that Baylor game, if uh, Tech had recovered that fumble instead of having it be called an illegal snap, they are in position to kick a field goal to win the game. It's a tie game in overtime. If they kick a field goal, they win. Kansas fans, and by the way, this came out of that call as well, that officials uh, uh, apologized two less miles and admitted that the clock operator in that Texas game on the Longhorns final drive was a little bit slow to get that clock going. So maybe that's a longer field goal from Dick or the kicker. And who knows if he makes it or he misses it. Kansas was winning that game. OU was still losing the game on this controversial call. It wasn't even tied. They were losing the game. This idea that, oh, if that call had been corrected, we win, and we're undefeated still, it's just it's, it's not true. It's not based in fact. It's not based in reality. I'm sorry, it's not. And, and it was a bad loss for the Big 12 last week, and it really hurts this conference's chances of making a college football playoff. So I'm not jumping for joy about it, but I also got to just call it how it is. And you heard from the officials, and now it's over. I mean, you played a bad game, all right? Coaching staff didn't have a good day. Uh, The players didn't have a good day. It happens, you move on. But pointing the fingers at the officials in a game that uh, you would have been still down in if the call was reversed, I I, I just, I don't get it. I just don't get it. All right, so what does this mean now for the college football playoff in the Big 12? Well, it's not good. It's not good for a couple of reasons. First off, Baylor right now is the lone undefeated, and Baylor has to run the table to have a chance of making the playoff because their non-conference is such a joke. This is part of the problem with Baylor playing Stephen F. Austin, UTSA, and Rice in the non-conference. I know this is not something that is the fault of the current regime. These non-conference schedules are put together uh, years in advance, but it's not good because Baylor's got zero, zero wiggle room because they don't have a great non-conference win or a really close non-conference loss against a very good opponent. So they've got no room for error. They've got West Virginia this week, then they're at TCU, and then Oklahoma and Texas at home. That's a brutal three-week stretch. Go on the road to TCU against you know your big rival, and then you have OU and Texas coming to your place. That's tough. And I think Baylor's a really good team. I am so impressed with what Matt Rule has going this season, but that is brutal, and there is no room for error. There just isn't. Now for OU... Part of the problem for the Sooners is the fact that, you know, their non-conference, which was set up well years ago, but Houston and UCLA are no good. Um, And then you have South Dakota. And then you look at the schedule to date right now, and they have one top 25 win. That's the Texas game. Here's what also hurts OU. Because the Big 12 has been so topsy-turvy, and, and it is so deep, and I really believe it's 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 right up there with the best conferences in America because you're playing around Robin and because Kansas is no longer the doormat that they've been for a decade. Um, that's good. That's good. But, like, next week's game against Iowa State, 
Like, Iowa State's a top 25 team, but because they lost to Oklahoma State, they fell out of the top 25. Um, and that's not good for OU because they need more top 25 wins. And next week against the Cyclones would have been a great opportunity for one of those. And then you'd have Baylor the following weekend. So you'd be, you know, picking up potentially a couple of top 25 victories. And that is not going to be the case now for OU. They beat Texas and they have one ranked team left on the schedule, and that's Baylor. And they don't have a staple non-conference win like in Ohio State. So that's not a good scene right now for OU trying to make a college football playoff uh, because of how things look right now. And who knows? I mean, maybe if they beat Baylor in a Big 12 championship game and both teams are still in the top 15 and OU only has this one loss at K-State, that may be still something and a team worth considering. But a lot of it's also going to depend on what happens around the rest of the country. And that is also problematic for uh, for the Oklahoma Sooners. I'm not going to say Baylor because Baylor has to win out to get in. Uh, Baylor cannot lose a game and get into the college football playoff. There's just no chance of that happening. But for OU, you look around the country and you say, okay, Alabama, LSU, both sitting there one and two. They're playing each other next week at 8-0. If that's a close game and the loser does not get to the SEC championship game, and let's say LSU is sitting at home watching the SEC championship game and they have an 11-1 record with a field goal loss to Alabama. LSU is a great road win at Texas in the non-conference. Are the college football playoff committee members really going to sit there and say they're not putting LSU in? We've seen them do it. They want to do it. They want to get that second SEC team in there. I don't want to say all of them do, but certainly some of them have no problem doing that. So right there, you got a couple of spots. Ohio State, Penn State. Same thing in the Big Ten, potentially, right? I mean, you have these two teams inside the top six, and you look at them and you say, okay, they're meeting the weekend before Thanksgiving. That's when they are going to be touching base with each other. And could that be one of those games where the loser might be sitting at home for the Big Ten championship game and saying to themselves, well, maybe there's a way for us to back our way in. Maybe that's possible. But if we're playing that non-conference scheduling, I mean, Ohio State's and Penn State, not exactly murderer's row. Penn State's played Idaho, Buffalo, and Pitt, which is uh, uh, more or less a joke. And then Ohio State's played FAU, Cincinnati, and Miami of Ohio. So neither of them had that premier non-conference win either. So uh, maybe the loser there is on the outs. But don't forget about an SEC East team like Florida. Florida's got one loss, but if they run the table... And let's say they play an undefeated Alabama in the SEC championship game and win by a field goal. Would they put Florida in? They'd have to put Florida in. And then do you put in an Alabama because they were undefeated and lost by a field goal? And then, of course, you got Clemson playing in the god-awful ACC, which they should have no problem winning outright and being undefeated. And you still have the Pac-12 there. I mean, Oregon's ranked 7th. They're 7-1, and one, and their one loss is to Auburn in the season opener. Could a one-loss Pac-12 champ Oregon get in? It's all these different conversations, and it's very, very uh, muddied right now. So OU, I mean, they have no choice but to win out. But in previous years, I thought a one-loss OU team would have a solid chance at getting into the playoff based on what I saw ahead of them and what I saw going on around the rest of the country. Right now, I have a hard time seeing that, and uh, that's not a good spot for the Sooners to be in right now. 
just not. Now, one thing the Big 12 has going for it, which I hope, like, heck, these other conferences start adopting, like, soon. They may not do it, but they should start doing it. Can you go one versus two, please, in your conference championship games? I mean, the Big Ten championship game is going to be a joke. What are you going to have? Either Penn State or Ohio State against, like, Minnesota? Maybe Wisconsin? One versus two is how it should be. The ACC is laughable. It is laughable. Clemson's going to play, like, Virginia or North Carolina? Maybe out of the Coastal? The Coastal's a terrible division. Now, the rest of the ACC is pretty bad as well. But at least give me one versus two. Same thing in the Pac-12. They have got to change this across all conferences because it's just embarrassing. And the Big 12 does it right. They should be pumping their chest more about the fact that they do this right uh, because it is the right way and the best way to do it. They've got the true round robin and one versus two. That should be worth something here moving forward. Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. So much more to get into. Is Texas in the danger zone? And what is going on in the rest of the conference? That's next. And before we dive into it, guys, we are always talking stats on this show, right? We bring it up quite often, actually. Well, here's some numbers for you. 85% of women think bad grooming is a major turnoff. And 89% of men think good grooming is essential to their professional success. That's why this show right here, Heartland College Sports Weekly, has become partners with Manscaped. I know you've all got that manscaping story where things went haywire. I don't want to go down that road. Keep it to yourself, but I know you have it, okay? I know you have it. Well, manscaped.com has its new electric trimmer, the lawnmower 2.0, and the thing is a beauty, so accidents are a thing of the past. This lawnmower 2.0 is the real deal. It's kind of like Kansas football 2.0 from recent seasons. They're playing pretty well right now, right? So from 15 minutes on one charge to now 60 minutes on one charge, it includes a rechargeable battery, no more double A's. And with the promo code HEARTLAND20, that's HEARTLAND20 at manscaped.com, you get 20% off and free shipping with the code. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code HEARTLAND20. That's manscaped.com, HEARTLAND20. I promise you, you won't regret it. I'm loving mine. Appreciate it, guys. Well, right now, when you look at the middle of the pack in the Big 12, it is a jumbled mess. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Appreciate you joining us and uh, being a part of the show. So, by the way, what do you guys think? little uh, Halloween theme music there for you this week, all right? So you look at the Big 12 and you have Baylor and Oklahoma at the top. Baylor's 4-0 uh, in conference play. OU is 4-1. and And then you have half the conference sitting there between 3-2 and two and 2-3. Two and three. Iowa State, 3-2. and two. Texas, 3-2. and two. K-State, 2-2. Two and two. TCU, 2-2. Two and two. Oklahoma State, 2-3. And, three. and uh, it's kind of what we thought this conference was going to look like here when we got ready to turn the calendar to November. I, you know, I don't know if the teams would have been what we thought they would have been. Like, did I have Baylor at 4-0 in conference play and undefeated top 15 in the country at this point? I did not. But I thought you'd have that hierarchy and, and you know, teams 3 through 7-8 would be very, very jumbled and would be changing on a weekly basis. And that looks like what's happening here. 
Now, the disappointments, I don't think there's any doubt about it, that Iowa State and Texas fans have to be disappointed in how this season has gone thus far. Both teams can make a Big 12 championship game. Iowa State still got to play OU. Um, Iowa State still has to play Texas. Iowa State still has to play Kansas State. So Iowa State still has uh, plenty in front of them to reach their goals, but the margin for error is slim to none at this point. And I don't believe if you ask the majority of Iowa State fans, uh, hey, would you be happy sitting at 5-3 and three, uh, going into you know this bye week? They probably would have said no. Right? I think they would have been disappointed with that. And I understand. They should be disappointed with that. Now, maybe it's a little bit um, easier to take when these losses, three losses by a combined 10 points. But in the end, a loss is a loss, right? I mean, it's not horseshoes. You don't get credit for losing a close game. Maybe you do with the college football playoff committee. But when you talk about just the pure standings, it doesn't really matter. So Iowa State, you know, as much as it's like, hey, guys, we're Iowa State. It's November, and we got a chance of playing in the Big 12 championship game. You sometimes have to pinch yourself and remind yourself of that based on where this program has been. But still, I thought this team at this point uh, would be sitting at at least a 6-2, and two, and they're not. And that's going to be disappointing. Now, for Texas, if you're Texas and you're coming off that Sugar Bowl win last year, and you're thinking about not just a Big 12 championship, but maybe a college football playoff appearance— and you're sitting at 5-3, and three, and my goodness gracious, if not for possibly uh, an assist from the clock operator last week, who knows if you're at 4-4, four and four, that's crushing. I know injuries have decimated this team and really affected this secondary. I understand that, and I'm sympathetic to it to a point. But, like, this Texas team should be beating TCU. This is not a great TCU team by any stretch of the imagination. It's a very average TCU team that's playing with a true freshman quarterback who has a ton of potential. I mean, Max Duggan had his coming out party over the weekend in that game, and you know I was happy for him, but this is not one of the better TCU teams in recent memory for Gary Patterson. It's not. So even though Texas was shorthanded, they should be able to go on the road and win that game especially when you get the wake-up call against Texas the week prior or against Kansas the week prior. And that didn't happen. So Tom Herman has a a pivotal, pivotal month coming up here. He can maintain that momentum by going 3-1 and one in the month. That would put Texas at 8-4 and four for the year, a chance to go into the bowl season, win a bowl game, finish up 9-4, and four and say, listen, we had some tough breaks. We had some injuries. But we come back with Sam Ellinger next year as our quarterback. Um, you know, he will be the most veteran and probably the top quarterback in the conference entering the 2020 season. And next year is our year to win a Big 12 title and to make a run at the college football playoff. But, you know, if they go two and two in this next month and Texas is sitting there at seven and five. There's going to be a lot of Texas fans that are sitting there and wondering, is this a step back for this program? Are we just back to being mediocre Texas? I don't think it's fair, but that's what Austin does. It overreacts, and it will once again overreact if Tom Herman wraps up this season with a 7-5 and record. Now, I've noticed this on the Big 12 teleconference. Uh, Tom Herman, he's been very chummy with the media. I don't know if he's trying to get in their good graces or what's going on, but he's been very chummy with the media. 
um, on these teleconference here this season. So maybe he's working it a little bit. And if he is, good for him. But that may be what's going on here as well. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Then you have uh, Kansas State, who has definitely overachieved to this point. Five and two overall, uh, two and two in conference play. I didn't see it coming. A lot of people didn't see it coming. Chris Kleiman has overachieved. Of the new head coaches in the Big 12, he has been by far the most impressive. It goes to show you as well with Chris Kleiman that, you know, when you talk about whether or not a guy can come up from the FCS and coach at the Power 5 level, right? Can he do it? It's a cliche, but football's football, man. I'm not taking a peewee coach and putting them at uh, Kansas State or any Power 5 school, but FCS, you know what? The guy's won national championships, 11 guys on either side of the ball. He knows what he's doing. He's a grown man, and he's proving time and time again he was the perfect guy for the job. Not intimidated by Bill Snyder's shadow. Not intimidated walking into a stadium where Bill Snyder's name is on the stadium and, you know, the statues outside the stadium. He's not intimidated by it. He's just out there like, you know what? I'm doing my thing. I'm doing it my way. And I'm not sure, you know, one of the young hotshot coordinators or group of five coaches from last uh, offseason's coaching cycle, would have been able to handle this. Kleiman was the perfect guy for the job. Perfect guy for the job. And K-State AD Gene Taylor deserves a ton of credit. And I don't think I'm overreacting to, you know, a win against Oklahoma. That's not the point here. I would have thought this. I did think this last week. uh, But with each passing week, I continue to believe it more and more. And Oklahoma State is just a, a conundrum of a team right now. It's a confusing team. They did not turn over the ball last week. That's a good thing for them. But classic Mike Gundy winning a game where everybody counted him out. Nobody saw it coming. And Oklahoma State still has, you know, I think an up and down season ahead of it. But that, I don't want to say it saved the season, but it certainly reignited and gave life back into the season for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Appreciate you joining us and being a part of the show. So let's keep it rolling. What's up, guys? It's Pete Mundo. And uh, by the way, we're going to be getting to our picks as we do each and every week in the podcast. But before we do that, we've crossed the halfway mark of the Big 12 season. And you want to get off the sidelines, get in, place those bets. And you know what? I've used a lot of these different sites before. Uh, I've been placing bets on these Big 12 games for a long time. And you can't beat mybookie.ag. They've got the most up-to-date lines, most prop bets. If you want to hit that parlay, I've been close a couple of times, still got to hit that parlay. But they're the place to do it. And because they love the Heartland College Sports listeners, you can double your money right up front by depositing with the promo code BIG12. That's BIG12. So you put in 50, you're going to get 100, 100, 200, all the way up to 1,000. They're taking care of us at Heartland College Sports. So that's mybookie.ag, promo code BIG12, BIG12, for your 100% sign-up bonus to get back in the game. There's only a few weeks left in the season. You don't want to miss out because then you're going to be there sitting around in the winter like, oh, I should have made a bed in football season. Do it now. MyBookie.ag, promo code BIG12. You play, you win, you get paid. (laughs) 
Well, we have reached the double-digit week mark in the college football season, and can somebody tell me where the heck it's going? I mean, please, somebody help me out. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. We appreciate you joining us and uh, being a part of the show this week. A lot to get into here. Well, I have a couple of minutes, and I'll dive into this more next week, but the NCAA Board of Governors uh, voting to allow the players uh, make some money or profit off their name, image, and likeness. I think a lot of people are missing the boat on this. I mean, think about it like this. Uh, If the NFL in particular, and to a lesser degree the NBA, had a minor league system similar to Major League Baseball, you wouldn't have this problem. Like, no one's talking about paying college baseball players, right? Because they have a minor league system. At 18 years old, you can go on um, and make money. You can't do that in the NBA anymore. You can go overseas, you can go in the D-League, but you can't do it. NFL, can't do it. Got to wait, what, three years at a high school. NBA, they put in the one-and-done rule. Remember, college sports didn't create the one-and-done rule. The NCAA didn't create that. The NBA did that because their scouts were sick of sitting in high school gyms trying to figure out which 17-year-old they should draft in the uh, you know first round with the 10th overall pick. The NBA instituted that because it was easier for them. And college has had to deal with that. The conversation here needs to be about the NFL and the NBA doing a better job on its minor league systems because I believe 18-year-olds should be allowed to go make money off their uh, name, image, and likeness with their skill set. But everybody loves to crush the NCAA. And frankly, this is not the NCAA's fault. There's a lot of people that get full-ride scholarships and free educations that are thrilled to have that and thrilled to get that as part of their package to go to college. The top tier guys aren't. I understand why they're not, you know, the one and done guys in college and whatnot, but they should be upset with the NBA, not college, not the NCAA. They didn't sign up for this. So uh, we can touch on it more next week, but I wanted to get that in there. All right, let's get to our uh, week 10 picks against the spread. Let's start with Baylor, West Virginia. And I know some of you get this show after this game will air on uh, Thursday night on Halloween night, but bear with me here. You'll know whether or not I got this one right or wrong, but I'm going Baylor minus the 18. Baylor's home and West Virginia is just not that good this year. West Virginia's two and six against the spread this year. Uh, the Bears are on a roll, three and one against the spread in their past four games. And a couple of things I believe this game's going to come down to. First off, turnovers. Baylor, first in the Big 12 in conference play at plus six in turnover margin. West Virginia is minus four in that department. Now the Mountaineers have to go on the road to a very difficult environment. I think McLean Stadium's going to be rocking like it hasn't. Um, since, you know, 2014, 2015. Prime time, weeknight, that is going to be a very tough spot for a young West Virginia team that cannot run the ball, averaging 95 yards per game on the ground. That's 38 yards per game less than Iowa State, who is the ninth-ranked rushing team in the Big 12 Conference. I mean, that is a massive drop-off from 9 to 10. And this Baylor team, it's not just high-flying. I know we talk about it. But it's not just some high-flying offense, you know, Art Bryles team. They play defense. They had the third-best pass defense efficiency in the Big 12. West Virginia has the eighth-ranked pass-efficient offense in the Big 12. And also, West Virginia's missing uh, one of its veteran guys, cornerback Hakeem Bailey, 
is out for the first half due to a targeting call from their last game. So that's the last thing they need on the road as a big underdog. But I think Baylor's going to be focused. I don't believe they're overlooking West Virginia because it's like one of those mini bye weeks. It's a weeknight. It's prime time. They'll be focused. And I think they steamroll West Virginia, something like, you know, 45-21, 45-17. The Bears cover the 18 points at home on Thursday night. Two games on Saturday. Let's get to them. Sunflower Showdown, KUK State. Boy, this one is tough. I never thought I'd say it, but this one really had me going. I was struggling. These two teams in conference play are pretty playing pretty darn good football. They're both in the top four in turnover margin and penalties. I mean, just doing the little things right that these two programs uh, have not done right in the last couple of seasons at least. couple of seasons for K-State, decade for KU. I think the focus factor goes out the window for both teams. You know, you can't say K-State's going to have a hangover after beating OU because you could say, well, KU's going to have a hangover after coming back and beating Texas Tech in dramatic fashion, first Big 12 win, all those different things. So I think the focus angle goes out the window here in this game. I am picking K-State minus the six points uh, for a couple of reasons. Time of possession. K-State has dominated in that department. They are second in the Big 12. KU is 10th in the Big 12. And also, a little tidbit here for you. Third down defense, which can play a factor in some of these close rivalry games. K-State's third in the Big 12 and third down defense. KU is 10th. So I think KU actually wants to get into a shootout with Brent Deerman uh, as offensive coordinator. And K-State has to do basically what it did against Oklahoma, which is not let that happen by putting together long, sustained, quality drives. And I believe Kansas State is going to do that. So I see Kansas State winning this game, covering the six points. I love what Les Miles has going on right there, a little mojo right now uh, in Lawrence for the Kansas Jayhawks. But my gut just keeps telling me K-State's the better team. The numbers are showing that. And if I'm proven wrong, I'm proven wrong. But I'm going Wildcats minus six. Last but not least, Oklahoma State hosting TCU. Both teams also coming off big wins. Oklahoma State at Iowa State, TCU home against Texas. But I wonder more about the TCU hangover. You got a true freshman quarterback. He's got the big win at home over the Texas Longhorns. He's getting pat on the back. Sonny Cumbies, you know, lit up on the sidelines last week, all fired up. Um, I'm concerned about the hangover far more for TCU. I think that for Oklahoma State, they got something going last week with the big plays, Spencer Sanders, limiting the turnovers, Mike Gundy making that a priority uh, for his young quarterback here the last couple of weeks. It showed last week Oklahoma State is back home in this game. And despite the up-and-down season, the Cowboys are 6-2 and two against the spread this year. While TCU is 4-11 and 11 in their last 15 games against Big 12 teams against the spread, 4-11. and 11. And here's a tidbit on Spencer Sanders for you if you're an Oklahoma State fan. The Cowboys are 4-0 when Sanders completes 60% of his passes. Mike Gundy and Sean Gleason have to realize that. They have to come to the conclusion that putting Sanders in a position to win is the way to do it and not asking him to do too much based on what his skill set is right now. And while this TCU defense is good statistically, uh, they have struggled 
at times this season against SMU, against Iowa State. And I think that'll continue here with the offensive weapons Oklahoma State uh, has in its arsenal at home once again. So give me Oklahoma State minus the two and a half. The Pokes minus the two and a half at home. They've also got the better kicker, which plays a factor in this game. I mean, Jonathan's song is good for TCU, but Matt Amendola, I think he's the best kicker in the Big 12. And in a close game like this, that can make a difference. So there you have it. I've got Baylor minus 18, K-State minus 6, Oklahoma State minus 2.5. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Appreciate you guys joining us. Please leave that rating, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. That helps us out a lot as we continue to grow this thing every week because of you. And I'll send you a free koozie if you do it. Just send me a screenshot of the rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we will uh, take care of you guys. All right, thanks so much. We'll talk to you Sunday for the Recap Podcast on Heartland College Sports Weekly.